Shut up and sit down. The Whopper, the chicken nugs, and now you can get hot dogs. Fuck, that's disgusting. Fast food hot dogs. <laughs> you know, if I'm getting a hot dog, I'm going to Quick Trip. Straight up. Okay. Yep. Studio time, baby. And we're starting before 11. Uh, piss now or forever hold your bladder. I already peed. I'm peeing right now. Okay, good to know. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a show about comic book movies approached from every angle and a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to non-fiction. I'm your comic culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro. James Tyler Hutzma. And the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan see the... Every fan... Every fan... Fuck, I can't do this right now. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, or pizza time, SMSP talks about it all on this week's episode... Still no word on the whereabouts of your son's fiance. Sorry, Jonah. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. He was the only one who could have stopped Octavius. Yes. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. He was a... Thief! A criminal! He stole my suit! He's a menace to the entire city! I want that ball crawling arachnid prosecuted! I want him strung up by his web! I want Spider-Man! Spider-Man 2. And yes, there will be spoilers. The Spider-Man in returns. Spider-Man 2, Return of Jafar. <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man 2, Temple of Doom. Spider-Man 2, Judgment Day. (laughs) Spider-Man 2, Revenge of the Fallen. Spider-Man 2, Attack of the Clones. Spider-Man 2, (laughs) The Two Towers. Spider-Man 2, Electric Boogaloo. That's not a thing! Who's got, who's, who's got the subtitle Electric Boogaloo? The, I fucking, I don't know. It's a thing, though. Bullshit. All right. Okay, you win this. Spider-Man in the Chamber of Secrets. God damn it. <laughs> okay. Uh, was there an arachnophobia too? <laughs> Feels that that one would be apt. Anyway. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so we all saw Spider-Man 2, like, what, 10 years ago? This afternoon. Yes. Uh, for some of us. Uh, first opinions, then. Who wants to go first? Not I, said the sheep. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man 2 for me is still one of those movies where I watched it at a certain point in my adolescence and was like, wow, I can watch movies forever if they're like this. And that's just because it has the benefit of a great story behind it. It's still far and away the best Spider-Man movie they've put out. It has a terrific villain that opens up so many just imaginative corners for how you know, you can put that to film. 
Uh, still don't really care for the main cast, which is a carryover for all three movies, but I think this film has the the most strength behind it because of the story it chose to go with. Upper Michael. Nail it on the head when you say that this is the best Spider-Man movie put out there. I mean, you have to compare it to Spider-Man 1, which was a strong foot forward. Spider-Man 3, which was a big step back. Amazing Spider-Man comes close. That's some good stuff right there. Amazing Spider-Man 2, another three steps back. And then we get ten minutes of Spider-Man and Avengers Civil or Captain America Civil War, and that might debatably be the best Spider-Man movie ever. Depends on your tastes. Um... But Spider-Man 2 just has got the whole package. It's got this... It's... it's, it's, What it lacks in actor charisma, it makes up for in just tremendous emotional drive. And we really don't see that as frequently anymore in superhero movies because it's all about the flash and bombast. Whereas this one actually deals with a deep personal struggle. What would it be like to be Spider-Man? You have to make a lot of sacrifices. You have to give up what you love. You have to... If 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 you don't want to be Spider-Man, then you're betraying the original thing that made you become the man under the mask in the first place. And it just explores that in the most beautiful way. And then you've got the grandiose Alfred Molina just like soaking it up like a Broadway actor out there, killing it. And, and uh, Tobey Maguire's pouty face throughout most of the movie, just so it's not without its its faults. But in terms of if you had to pick a Spider-Man movie to watch over and over and over again till you die, you're gonna be the least tortured with Spider-Man Two. Popcorn bit. So I watched this movie this afternoon, and uh, I remembered seeing this for the first time since I was thirteen. I'm about 80% sure this movie was my sexual awakening. With Kristen Dunst? For some reason, yes. The uh, the scene in the cafe where she's not wearing a bra? Really? Oh, come on. No way those babies are supported in that scene. I honestly don't know what scene you're talking about. In the cafe, when he literally throws a taxi into the cafe. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then you they, they show them standing next to each other. I was not looking at her breasts. Oh. I guarantee you that. Oh, well, I don't know what did it for you then. It was it was like... Rosemary It Harris. was all those tentacles. No, <laughs> it wasn't that. Um. Anyway, so I've... No, no, no. You don't get to sidetrack this. We need to pinpoint the about... exact moment Ben okay. got a boner from Spider-Man 2. It was that like brown dress that's like has the slit all the way up the side. The brown dress that's got a slit all the it's way the up? the one she's wearing like towards the end. Her wedding dress? She's pretty soaked you know, in that finale. She's, yeah, but she's wearing the same thing she wore in the cafe because she got kidnapped. Yeah, okay, so it's, yeah, it's, it's that. It's the thing for, yeah, it's what sure. she's wearing at the cafe. I'm glad we agree. Okay. Anyway, so I don't I don't know why that. I probably was just at the right age. Um, but this is, I mean, I don't have too much else to add. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is by far my favorite Spider-Man movie. Tobey Maguire is a little Keanu Reeves-y. <laughs> He's a little flat sometimes. And his face is kind of flat and, mm-hmm. yeah, and just... He's boring as hell, but the like the action is exciting. Like it was so weird to me when you had like the opening chase sequence and he was on a bike and ordinarily like 
for the past like five movies we watched when someone gets on a motorcycle and there's a chase sequence right at the beginning it's the most boring shit yeah but this was like it was exciting even though he was like i just gotta drive 20 blocks in seven minutes <laughs> and it was more important or more you know it felt like it mattered more and was more exciting than the last oh four or five years worth of movies that we've done on this show <laughs> fair enough so it, it's a it's a great movie it's yeah and there's some good themes to it and an intro like a complex villain yeah. Which we haven't seen for the past 10, ten years, years doing, like, <laughs> of movies we've done on this show. I so. mean, the last one we had was what? Loki? In terms of like someone you could actually get behind? Uh, Kingpin from Daredevil Season 1. Well, oh, okay. But yeah. that's, that's slightly different. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm convinced that Alfred Molina's portrayal of Dr. Octopus is still the best comic book villain ever put to screen. Maybe behind the Joker. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to beat the Joker, but I'm trying to yeah. think of what could even top Alfred Molina as well. Uh, definitely not anything on a Batman Returns. Perhaps Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman. Depends on how much you love Gene Hackman. Oh, dude, what are you talking about? Willem Dafoe is above Alfred Molina. Um, you see, there's one big difference between those two, and that. Alfred Molina was actually allowed to emote and didn't just look like a big green uh, piece of cardboard on screen in that suit. Yeah, but when Willem Dafoe isn't wearing the mask, and even just his voice is terrifying. Even the scene where it's like, hello, Harry, who said that? It's me, your father. Avenge me. No. Avenge me! And he throws the thing. I'm like, oh, I still get chills. Yeah. That's some yeah. Good, good shit. But Doc Ock is a better villain than Green Goblin. Oh, fuck Come you. The There's fuck only on. Defoe. Absolutely. There's only Defoe. Okay, money. <laughs> Production budget, $200 million, 2004. Say what? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of cheddar. That is a lot of cheddar going into a superhero movie, even for 2004 standards. Um, but for once, this was a time when Sony was actually making money off Spider-Man movies because Spider-Man 2 brought in $373.5 million in the U.S. alone. Add on to that, it's a gross of $410.2 million from overseas. And you bring it right around to $783.7 million for Spider-Man 2. Got some good money. How much, do you know how much worldwide Spider-Man 3 made? Like $900 million? Uh, I think it topped out right around like 833 okay. or 870 excuse me. 870 So yeah. Uh, internationally, Spider-Man 3 is a little more successful. Um, so is the original Spider-Man. But... Um, Spider-Man 2 is definitely more successful than 3 in the United States by about $40 million. And critically. <laughs> yeah, not even close there. Um, a few more little factoids about it. Um, it's still the number two film of 2004 in the U.S. behind Shrek 2. Uh, it's number three worldwide behind Shrek 2 and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It surpassed the original movie's opening day record with Forty point four million, and that was on a Wednesday, no less. Whereas the first one was on Friday, um, and it had the 
best Independence Day opening until Transformers 3 came out uh, about seven years later. And right about now, it is the eighth biggest superhero movie behind a bunch of Marvel movies, Christopher Nolan, Batman movies, and the original Spider-Man. Mmm. Delicious so, factoids. I would I would say it's it's a little bit of a success story there. <laughs> it's a damn good movie. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. I mean, come on. Absolutely. It's I recommend it. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. I mean, um it's certainly not really a modern Spider-Man. There are some lines in there that come off as cheese. In fact, almost all of Alfred Molina's performance when he turns evil is kind of a bit too hammy. Yeah, a bit a bit hammy, but like you have to displace the film a little bit. And if, if this was like a uh uh, an artistic redo of 1960s Spider-Man when Spider-Man first came out in the comic books and in television. This would look amazing if if oh. if you would like to make a modern 1960s Batman movie and but sort of try and make it serious. Uh, this would be that Spider-Man version of it. Absolutely, and you get so many memes from it. Hey, he stole that guy's pizzas. So many names? Memes. Oh, memes. Okay, I was like, names. Yeah, I was surprised by the, the weird cast cameos I saw. Joel McHale. Joel McHale. What the hell? LeVar Burton was in this? Or Phil Lamar? Phil Lamar, yeah. Phil, Phil Lamar. I get them mixed up, and I shouldn't. They're very different people. <laughs> yeah. LeVar <laughs> uh, no, Burton it, was it, in Star Trek. Phil Lamar was in Justice League. Okay. <laughs> Reading Rainbow, Rainbow. Rainbow. Damn it. It's Phil, Phil Lamar was in Justice League. Yes. Not LeVar yeah. Burton. LeVar Burton okay. was in Reading Rainbow. Okay, we got that. <laughs> We're going to play a, a game. <laughs> Lamar or LeVar? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's going to get confusing. And then you got Lamar from GTA Five. Oh, yeah, of course. Duh. Yeah. All, all the stuff he's been in. Next, yeah. <laughs> next section, comic books. Uh, talking about the comic book origins the 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 source material as as much as they pulled from for this movie uh and things we haven't talked about yet are two new characters to grace themselves onto the silver screen for the first time one of them of course being dr octopus but i'll save him for last because the first is john jameson jingleheimer schmidt uh not his real name. <laughs> well, his name is my name too. But John Jameson uh was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko and premiered in The Amazing Spider-Man number 1, 1963. Number 1. So John is the very accomplished son of the boisterous J Jonah Jameson. So John has a decorated military career as well as being a successful astronaut. In one of his early appearances, uh, Spider-Man saves him from a crash landing of his shuttle, uh, much to the chagrin of the Triple J, who, of course, wants to label the wall crawler as a menace. He, In another uh, story, he becomes infected with spores that overstrain his body and mind but give him super strength. The spores gave him super strength, and he had to wear a clunky containment suit that he dons with the alias of Colonel Jupiter. 
No relation to Sally Jupiter? <laughs> Hopefully. It's that, uh, Sally Jupestic? Jupiznik? Her real name. That's Polish? Yeah. Jupiznik. Yeah. Something like that. But anyway, uh, if you ever watch the Spectacular Spider-Man TV show, they do an episode on Colonel Jupiter, and it's awesome. Yes. He screams. I have to get the power back. There you go. <laughs> I have to get the power back. Uh, once those spores are gone... Writer Jerry Conway brings the character back by actually sending him on a moon mission where his body melds with a multidimensional ruby that turned him into a savage werewolf, labeling him Man-Wolf. Later, he ends up in a dimension that the ruby came from and, along with losing his canine savagery, develops other superpowers like telepathy and energy manipulation. Taking on another new mantle... Star God. He still looks like a wolf, by the way. Nothing changed. <laughs> he's just a bit more poised. He's, a, he's got a pretty eventful life, I've got to say. Yes. Bounces around a while between being Captain America's personal pilot, reverting back to Man-Wolf, becoming Star God again to go toe-to-toe with Thanos, and dating the sensational She-Hulk. Before he just kind of starts wandering around the cosmos. John Jameson. He's got about, what, five minutes in this movie? He got screwed over more than any other character in this film. Like, he's just a nice guy. Yeah. He is, and Mary Jane's behavior in this movie, it's a nitpick, I know. It's just kind of inexcusable. <laughs> Leave him <laughs> I'm going to marry altar? this guy to spite you. Ugh. Yeah. Well, she was confused. So that's kind of another cool thing about the movie is that it's like Spider-Man is one of the main characters. Like, there are de- there are three debatably main characters and one almost main character, because I don't think James Franco, Harry Osborn, did really enough to consider himself a main character. But the entire Alfred Molina conflict of, like, what is the right thing to do with my work? What is the right thing to do with my passion? Spider-Man, of course, should I be Spider-Man? And Mary Jane of, do I love Peter or don't I? Which is kind of, you know, not a very... Bechdel test passing story, but I think we can forgive it. Uh, well, at least she tries to hit Doc Ock with a, a wooden bar, and she sucks at it, but at least she tried. Yes, baby steps. She, she was not a 100% damsel in distress, but she did scream a lot. We'll revisit that during the drinking game rules. Okay. Uh, finally, Dr. Octopus, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, The Amazing Spider-Man number three. 1963, Otto Octavius was a gifted child born to an abusive father and a mother who believed nothing was good enough for him, giving him a superiority complex. That'll circle back around later. In avoiding his home life, he threw himself into his studies, earning top marks and being a target for bullies, of course. An industrial accident that killed his father drove him into studying physical science. He became one of the top names in his field of nuclear research. He invented his four extended arms to assist in his research because they were immune to radiation. His brash attitude didn't really create positive relationships with his co-workers, who called him Dr. Octopus behind his back. And in a fateful lab explosion, the body harness that controlled his arms fused into his body. Is this all sounding familiar? The mutation um, overstressed his brain because it caused his brain to rewire itself to account for neural control of four new limbs. 
Brains aren't really built to do that. And that's when he starts his life of crime, by breaking out of the hospital and beating the snot out of Spider-Man who shows up to try and stop him. Again, sounds really familiar. It's the plot of this movie. (laughs) Well, you know, the entire... More or less. Doc Ock's entire trek. Once their rivalry begins, Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus's lives continuously cross, as Otto never stops enacting schemes to bring out Spidey's demise, including forming the Sinister Six, nullifying Spider-Man's radioactive blood, and marrying Aunt May in order to steal an island she inherited. With this ring, I do the web. Oh. (laughs) For the super nerds out there, I hope you laughed. (sighs) That is the cover of the infamous book, in case you're wondering, in which Doc Ock and May are about to get married. That sounds like directly from a comic book. So, bravo. Um, I wish I could quote the number, but I'm not that nerdy. (laughs) Eventually, Otto is diagnosed with a terminal disease due to his unique exposure with his mechanical arms, and his plots to leave a legacy behind him become more profound. Um, Along with a big buildup of plots and such, like holding New York hostage with a a nuclear uh, chemical reaction, which he can do. Apparently, well, someone put a nuclear bomb in New York City, and he was the only one qualified to disarm it, and he chose not to disarm it in order to prove to Tony Stark that he was smarter than him. Which is kind of dumb. Yeah, he was, he's terminally ill at this point. Um, <laughs> but this all leads up to such a, 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 cli- a, a climax where he swaps bodies with Peter Parker, leaving Peter trapped in his old dying body. So in one final fight with his adversary, Peter implores Otto to use his new power for good because New York will always be in need of a Spider-Man. Feeling a sudden bit of remorse and empathy for his eternal enemy, Otto vows to put his criminal life behind him. And now, with Spider-Man's body and his own vast intellect, he became the superior Spider-Man. Circled back around. Yeah. In case you're wondering. So there's a whole year of comic books about Superior Spider-Man, which is hilarious to read the editor's notes on that comic book series because people got so butthurt about how long Peter Parker was dead. Because <laughs> it's so great. Because the first books, it shows out, and all the editors, all the all the letters to the editor on the back are just like, wow, this is an interesting new direction. I'm not quite sure how I feel about Peter dying, but I'll definitely keep picking up the the book um or some like how did you why would you kill peter parker that is the dumbest thing ever and writer dan slott answers back well we're just trying to go with new directions we're trying to create fun inventive storylines but if you get about like 10 issues in and you read those it's the same comments every time why is peter not back you're a, you're a hack dan slott you're the worst writer ever you ruined spider-man for me i'm never gonna buy another spider-man comic ever again and Dan Slott's responses transform into, thanks for buying and reading the comic. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wait, are you saying that comic book fans get butthurt and obsessive about tiny, insignificant things? Unfortunately, some do. 
Some I don't know. do. And I think there are always batches of any group and stereotype that ruin it for the rest of us. So anyway. Truth. This is true. Let's get more fun and musical with music. Absolutely. 76 uh, trombones in the big parade. parade. We're not musical, man. And no. 110 cornets. Something, something. <laughs> cornets? 76 cornets. raindrops falling on my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, music for Spider-Man 2 is written by Danny Elfman, who returned after scoring the first movie um, and would not return for the third Spider-Man movie because, and this is one of the rare things I'll talk about, get to talk about on this podcast, he walked out before scoring this movie was finished because he had such a miserable time doing it. Mm. Um, Apparently, um, he and Sam Raimi did did not see eye to eye, did not get along too terribly great during the making of Spider-Man two. So there are certain sections of the film where composers, Christopher Young, who would score the third movie and, uh, John Debney, who would score, um, Iron Man two had to step in to finish it. They're very rare, but it happened. And if you go on to the, uh, bonus features for Spider-Man two, um, there's a very exhaustive, uh, documentary of, on the making of the movie, and they do have a segment for the music. Uh, if you watch that segment, you will notice a small um, uh, irregularity in that Danny Elfman looks like he has not slept for three years in this <laughs> documentary. So he looks like he, Jack Skellington. He, he does. The bags under his eyes are immense. You can tell he did not want to be there, but he has not been having a good time. It's very sad once you figure it out after, after the fact, you know, and I watched this when I was like, you know, 12, this documentary, I was like, Oh wow. He did such a good job. I wish I could have an experience like him. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but thankfully that didn't hamper him from writing, uh, some new material that I think is pretty spectacular in the context of the movie. Uh, let's start it off with the, uh, an excerpt from the Doc Ock suite. Uh, he talked about writing this music um, for Doc Ock in sort of the fashion of just an old school movie monster and, you know, like you're writing it for Frankenstein or something. And I think that comes across pretty well with this big brash sound he came up with. Let's play it. Skyward, can you hear that? I can hear it. I don't know if it's delayed any. Like in the first couple seconds, it had trouble picking it up. But oh, I'm that, fading it, it in and out. Oh, okay, manually. that would that would probably be why. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, there is no 
Spider-Man 2 without this beautiful music. And that's not even like a good time for me to say that because more so in the quiet moments of this movie does the music excel. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, I picked this one first and foremost because, hey, what a concept, you know, writing a big bombastic theme for a comic book Superman villain. <laughs> you, don't, uh, you don't get too many examples of that these days, you know, X-Men Apocalypse notwithstanding. But, no, I mean, that's great to hear, but this, one of the real strengths of the movie is in those quieter moments, it, it can really pull that emotion through that the filmmakers are working so hard to carry the movie with. Case in point, uh, my next uh, track on the docket is called Armageddon, which I didn't realize how punny it was until a few minutes ago. Um, Armageddon. Huh. That, that's, that's the one. That's the one. Um, this is played during the uh, finale when uh, Peter makes his appeal to Doc Ock, and like, you know, Oh, I forget his speech, but it, it, you know, it's great, obviously. We talked about it. <laughs> you can give up on your dreams. Don't worry. That was the gist of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to sacrifice. Sometimes you have to even sacrifice your dreams in order to do the right thing. That was it. Come on, guys. And that's guys. when I gave up on life. Okay. Watch the movie. <laughs> right. Um, but no, it's a beautifully scored scene, um, and... It's a great finale, and it accompanies the score. Accompanies one of the best shots in a superhero movie I think I've ever seen. In that, after Doc Ock has destroyed the reactor, and they're both just floating to the bottom, and it's all very emotional and artistic, and it would not be what it is today without the music to accompany it. Neat. He's so good. <laughs> like on every level. I think it's just the ah. fact that we haven't had a good movie in a while. It's not just that. <laughs> it, it, it's abnormally good to this day, which makes me really happy to say. <laughs> yeah, that's better. I don't like, I, that's why I hate when people just turn around and flack on like the Raimi Spider-Mans. You ever, right. you've met those people that are just like, man, those first three Spider-Man movies sucked. I'm like, you shut your dirty whore mouth. Yeah, Toby, right. Toby, you know, Toby, Toby Maguire sucks, but 
not enough to hamper anything about this movie. Yeah, I mean, he didn't suck to ruin anything. He 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 puddled along through. <laughs> he got us through right. the movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I mean, I know people who never liked Spider-Man movies in general, and then you know, once like Spider-Man came to Marvel, it was like, oh, everything before this is just shit, and it's like, no. No, why don't you you check yourself before you wreck yourself? Because Spider Man Two is like the best man. <laughs> so, no, this this is great, and I love listening to this because it's it's just so fitting. I feel like. Um, speaking of which, last track on the docket is at long last love because I could not end this segment without hearing some of that glorious. Spider-Man music that was carried over from the first film, and, you know, obviously we have another swinging sequence to end the film, which we, well, almost all of them do, except for the third one, because, you know, it had to be a, the black sheep, but, yes, just triumphant end Spider-Man music, carrying it on to a future that would not treat it as well. <laughs> uh, let's play it. that sound with your mouth <laughs> you disgusting fuck uh, well, what, someone... that's, how the, that's how the movie ended didn't it <laughs> that, <laughs> that was a, a heavy it was a heavy makeout sesh at the end of the film uh but it, it really was uh, but i mean blah, 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 blah. the they ended the movie with i choose you peter okay great happy ending they kiss he hears the sirens go get him tar- tiger and then he swings away and woohoo and like you just need to fade to black while he's swinging to catch the cops right mm-hmm. but Except- they go back to mary jane for just two seconds and she's leaning on the banister, and you think, okay, fine, you'll end it on Mary Jane, giving a little half smirk, my life is awesome, I chose Peter and everything's good. But Kirsten Dunst does not smile. She maintains a somber stare into the final shot of the movie. Yes. And because of that, I think the movie is, it has that, little air of mystery into how the third movie would end. Like, was, you know, did I just make the right choice? I I ran away from my own wedding for a guy who just jumped out the window. Um, (laughs) 
No, it's it's a it's an interesting choice. I will say that it's not the easy choice by any choice any chance. <laughs> it's not the easy choice by any choice of any choice. Any choice or choice. I mean, it's like this movie's about choices or something. <laughs> Ah, yeah, that did seem to be a major theme. <laughs> yeah, um, about that. <laughs> and the nice little subplot of self-doubt makes you lose your superpowers. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that, too. There are a few things that, looking back on it, I go, that's a little ridiculous, such as Doc Ock doing a science uh, <laughs> experiment in his flat. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just doing a science, <laughs> but I mean, he's like he's doing a presentation of something that could like really hurt people in his apartment. Why is this not in a laboratory? Um, <laughs> Harry is stupid, and apparently so is he. Yeah, Harry is a little too obsessed, and Houseman is still withholding information <laughs> about the death of Harry's father. <laughs> yeah, that. Asshole. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> there's a couple of things. There's some weird details in this movie that you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? Ted, Ted Raimi has a bigger role than John Jameson. <laughs> yeah, apparently being brothers with the director might get you some kind of perk. Okay, but um, music? More? Yeah, music. Music is great, um, but if you're <laughs> if you're thinking this is going to be, you know, a sad, weepy end to the uh, Sam Raimi, Danny Elfman dichotomy, fear not, because as things work out, they eventually did make up and reteamed for 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful, which also had a pretty good score itself. So, I could potentially hear more in the future. <laughs> Moving on. No, I'm done. Two. Science. You had a lot to work with this week, Ben. I, I had some good stuff, but it's it's mostly stuff we've already covered. Well, fusion reaction, we've sure. We've done fusion reaction. We've done Spider-Man's powers. Mechanical arms is new. Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> Did you sign line mechanical arms? Yeah. Cybernetic implants. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, like, you can, like, prosthetic limbs and stuff. Like, they're fully, like... Like Bucky arms, <laughs> you know, and and they, like there's been a lot of progress, even like since this movie came out, in getting like prosthetic limbs to interface with your brain, mm-hmm. and so like you can have like really really sophisticated and lifelike movements in your hands and arms. Now, is the arms technology smart enough to make you a little crazy? It is not artificially intelligent. <laughs> um, I, as a kid, I 100% bought that, right? It, I mean, it makes sense kind of in the movie because mm-hmm. if, if you're – even if you have an enormous brain like Dr. Octopus, you don't have a big enough brain to control four extra limbs without practice. Yeah. So they make them a little artificially intelligent, but they got that inhibitor to make sure that nothing goes wrong until it breaks. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we got on like cybernetic. I mean, they 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 before limbs used to be prosthetics used to be just like something. It used to be cl- like just like a, on. like a piece of plastic, and then there was like a strap mm-hmm. that went across. I remember in elementary school, like for like disabilities awareness stuff, mm-hmm. they'd you know this person with like no arm would come in and be like, "Yeah, this is my prosthetic." 
it's itchy and uncomfortable and it clips on and it looks fake and I have to like in order to raise it up I have to like move muscles in my back in a weird way mm-hmm. and so like all my movements are jerky and unnatural looking but now but like now like you can't really tell the difference you except, can move fingers yeah individual fingers you can grab a pencil and do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> now do do they require like 15 needles in your spine like this one did <laughs> uh no you wouldn't you wouldn't put anything directly in your spine it would hook up with the nerves kind of like that are in the end of your shoulder is that painful though i feel as if latching onto nerves is really painful like, i feel like it would be painful i don't know i've never had a prosthetic limb <laughs> but i mean i mean i imagine that when they attach it they put you under Okay. Oh, okay. If, if they do it surgically. So they don't do it like, oh, crap, 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 crap. What's the name of the limbs in Full Metal Alchemist? I think you're the only person. Nobody's seen Full Metal I've Alchemist? I've never seen it. Red Sorry. Full. Oh, my God. What is the name of the. Pro- That's a big thing. Prosthetics are a big thing because a lot of people got um, a lot of amputees from wars in that story. Oh, and in real life. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a very recent war. But and they, it's a bit very booming business. Was oh my god, what is it called? <laughs> I'm looking crying. up. I'm crying. Help me out. They're there. Full metal alchemist. Full metal jacket. What are they called? Prosthetics. Derail. Derail. Auto mail. Auto mail. Thank you. Auto mail. And. I made this reference for not because nobody knows what that is. Yeah, no. I The only things I've seen for anime are Death Note. Okay. And Pokemon. Makes sense. And the first third of Attack on Titan. I'll take it. And Let's let's get to the big Let, one. Let's let's get to what I <laughs> what I was more prepared for to talk about. Yes, tritium. Yeah, tritium. The source tritium. of making a sun in your apartment. Yep. So Doc Ock is building a fusion reactor. Safe, clean energy forever until it breaks and destroys the city. Um <laughs> So, you know, there's that. Um but the the fuel for it is tritium, this Super rare substance. 25 pounds only 25 on 25 pounds on Earth. And uh, it is the name of a real substance. Yeah. What's well, its atomic him, number? It uh, Its atomic number is one because it's all it is is it's helium with an extra two neutrons. Really? So helium is usually one proton, one electron. Uh-huh. And then tritium is... Sometimes also called H three or uh, sorry H three or hydrogen three, because it's proton, two neutrons, and an electron. Interesting. It's heavy hydrogen. Heavy hydrogen. Okay. That, that's that's basically all it is, and uh, I got to give a lot of props to this movie. Um, yeah. Because they use the name of a real thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not unobtainium. Right. It, it's not. It doesn't have some ridiculous name that doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually is used in fusion, in nuclear fusion reactions what? in real life. Hey, what? <laughs> yeah. And and but how? Right? Is it is it the, the key? Is it that rare? It is pretty rare. It is. Um, 
the rarest type. I believe it's the rarest type of hydrogen because um, you can also get it with proton, neutron, electron, just one neutron. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little more common. Uh, tritium is the rarest. I believe it's the rarest type of hydrogen that occurs naturally. Oh. Um, can you synthesize tritium? Uh, you can produce it by uh, breaking apart lithium in a nuclear reactor. Oh, so it's kind of a heavy-duty process. It, it's kind of, but it's not unfeasible. If mm-hmm. you're a competent nuclear physicist, like... <laughs> you better damn well better like be. Like <laughs> Doc Ock is. You can just, like, say, hey, I can just grab some lithium. Okay, not just grab some lithium. <laughs> but, but you can... You know how to... You have the capacity to know how to synthesize it from lithium. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to... You don't have to go on a killing spree to get more. You can just be like, hey... Go up to someone with a gun or your eight arms. Uh huh. You know, ha- be carrying six machine guns. Go up to someone and be like, "Hey, give me your phone," and then take out the battery. <laughs> hey, you got some good. You got some lithium in there. Okay. And 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 so when you have tritium, yep. And you suspend it, and then you shoot a bunch of beams at it. This is a very simplified version of it's, fusion reaction. It's, it's a stylized version. Okay. So so how fusion reactions work is you get a bunch of substances, usually hydrogen or tritium or I forget what it's called, deuterium. Deuterium, that two with yeah, with the Yeah, dye with two the, with the two particles in the nucleus. Yep. You get a bunch of stuff that you can fuse, fusible material. Mhm. And you basically crank up the heat and crank up the pressure until they fuse together into heavier elements and give off energy. Oh. Give off heat in the process. Okay. So what he was doing, and the fusion reactions are what occur in the core of every star. Okay. It's fusing hydrogen into heavier elements. I can dig it. So I'll give this movie a solid thumbs up. The, uh, for getting the science pretty right. A double Ben thumbs up. A double Ben thumbs up. Nice. Uh, if this movie was made today, not only would Doc Ock be going to collect people's cell phones, he would probably also be going to collect their um, their vaporizers <laughs> because those use lithium-ion batteries. And much like the uh, reactor in this movie, they also always explode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lithium batteries have a habit of exploding, so... Careful, kids. They've gotten better, but, like, I forget how many years ago, like, right when they started becoming, like, pretty common, it'd be like, hey, don't bring it on a plane because people think it's a bomb. (laughs) Right. When I was at a uh, a job I did not terribly care for, um, I was reading a lot of stories about how people were suing the vaporizer makers because they would just keep exploding in their faces or their pockets or both maybe even. So it, it was like once a week I had to read about this. Mm, she called J. Joan Jameson. Yeah. He'd be all over that. Here's here's my question. Social though. justice warrior. Here's my question though. When you go to the airport, they take away your four ounce bottle of water because it's over three ounces and you could make a bomb out of it. Why don't they take away my cell phone? Because the battery in there has a lot more explosive capacity 
than three ounces of basically any kind of liquid. Maybe it's easier to make a bomb out of liquid than it is out of lithium batteries. No, no, no. You just have to short the terminals. Oh, I guess if people know what that means, and it's probably easier to figure out because of the internet. Yeah, you're right. So, and, now, and I now always feel like when I'm again. going through security, I should point that out to someone because, because <laughs> like it, it seriously is like if you wanna if you wanna stop people from carrying bombs on airplanes, you don't take away their water. <laughs> Although I have this theory that everything the TSA does is not about preventing terrorism, but about keeping people under control and docile. Okay. Yeah, perhaps. Not inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Okay, so let's get to higher inaccuracies. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about cerebral inebriation. Getting drunk? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, the drink responsibly. Do not drink if you are under twenty-one. Uh, just standard disclaimers apply. It's a, been a while. I sometimes I might forget to say that. Just always remember that. Know your limit. <laughs> Stay within it. But here are some rules for Spider-Man Two because these are a plenty and fun. Yeah, this is a fun movie, fun movie to play a little game with. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Take a drink every time Peter's late for something. <laughs> it's a good way to keep things going throughout the movie. Um, uh, drink when Tobey Maguire screams, screams like a howler monkey out of nowhere in the finale. No. <laughs> It's not out of nowhere. A thing's about to come and crush Mary Jane. It's going to make him very emotionally upset. But yes, it is a ridiculous yell, and it does get a chuckle out of me. Yes. When you take it in context of Tobey Maguire's limited facial interaction throughout this movie and then that scene, it is quite lousy. Um, I want I want you drinking and yelling at the same time every time... There is a bizarre close-up of screaming women that includes Mary Jane. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of screaming women and close-ups, too. Like, like as they're screaming, close-up on their face. Mm-hmm. Yep. At, least, at least a half dozen that I counted. Uh-huh. <laughs> not, even, not even a close-up. Sometimes they just run up to the camera and, like, shake their hands. And... <laughs> yeah, that was the blonde girl doing the King Kong thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, on that note... Uh, drink a Bloody Mary when Sam Raimi goes full-on Evil Dead in the operating room. Scared the shit out of me as a kid. All right, that's a legitimate horror scene. That is not meant in a <laughs> movie for children. No, that is some scary stuff. Mm. Like, when watching it again, you realize that there's, like, no blood or anything like that, but the imagery is still fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's, it's... those Evil Dead years coming back. I, I think we alluded to this earlier, but uh, there's some cameos that are like, is that who I think that is? <laughs> Drink every time that happens. Yeah. Uh, is Stan Lee, does he make a cameo or is that was this before that started? This is the briefest Stan Lee cameo I think that can ever be recorded because he he pulls a woman away from falling wreckage in the bank fight. Okay. The only difference between this one and his original one in the original Spider-Man movie is that he says, look out, when the rebel falls, whereas in the first one, he just pulled someone away. There you go. All Uh, right. Uh, Drink if you played the bomb-ass video game for this film. Oh, shit. 
Spider-Man 2, the video game, was the shit. My balloon! <laughs> Fuck you, kid. I ain't getting your goddamn 100th balloon. It's actually, it's actually so much fun. Yes, it is. But that little child and their fucking balloon, or the amount of fairies that start on fire and you have to go save everyone, Jesus. <sighs> it gets frustrating. Oh, like fairy boats. Yes. I thought you were... No. <laughs> okay. There also, there's another burning house in this movie. Like, can we just drink more Fireball during that burning house scene? Because it's the exact, it's a very similar scene to when he gets goaded in the first one. Spider-Man enters a burning house, but this time he's not wearing the Spider-Man suit. And there's no horrifying goblin person there oh waiting God. for him. She, he, like, is that Willem Dafoe actually screaming in the first movie? Because if so, that like old lady scream is terrifying and still haunts my dreams. <laughs> no, it, it's a... Uh... It's a sound source that shows up in a bunch of movies. So. <laughs> oh, um, drink if you stole that gas pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird line. <laughs> he stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> um, <laughs> so why is that so funny? <laughs> Stole that gas pizza. Stole that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and, and conversely, uh, drink if you've watched the video where they loop um, Tobey Maguire saying pizza time for like <laughs> 10 hours. He stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> oh, all right. Shall I take the last one then? If you want. Oh. Yeah. Uh, finish the bottle. If you recall the overwhelming joy you felt at the end of this film in thinking of what the next film was going to be like. I was so goddamn excited for Spider-Man 3 after this. I, I thought it was going to be like the be-all, end-all movie. Like, how could it even get worse than this? I mean, this is... Shucky uh, darn. <laughs> well, we know how that ended up, and unfortunately, it was a conflict among yeah. studio, audience, and director. But we still have Spider-Man 2, and no one can take that away from us. We still have Spider-Man 2. Sam Thank Raimi, you, Sam Raimi, Raimi for that. You. Yeah, we forgive yeah. you, because you made this beautiful movie. Yay. Just great. <laughs> that all going to do it for us today? I think so. All right. Yeah. Wrapping it up, Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. New episodes come out every Monday. While you're there. Shh. Shh. Oh, continue. Sorry. While you're there. Okay. Continue. While you're there, be sure to drop. While you're there, be sure to drop a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show, and it means the world to us. You know, when you keep saying it means the world to us, emote a little. You know, don't just Toby Maguire that line. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it means it means it means things to us. <laughs> when you give us a review, it's like we just heard Toby Maguire say "pizza time" fifty times instantaneously, or, or he just stole that guy's pizza like once. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how much joy it brings us. <laughs> oh, while you're there, drop acid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and as always, while you're there, drop always. it like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, while you're at it, always, always, always check out our Twitter feed at Super M Studies, where Twitter Tom does an excellent job of just everything except when I share awesome Deathstroke news and he just takes the opportunity to bash Batman versus Superman that fuck. Um, <laughs> Tudor Tom's at least doing something, all right? And I, for that, I give him anything. <laughs> we got to give Twitter Tom props for being great Twitter at Tom this job. Awesome. <laughs> it's, it's just like, hey, you want to run our Twitter account? <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, while you're there, uh, let us know. Is it, uh, is it Alfred Merlina's uh, Doc Ock? Or is it Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin? Ooh. Hashtag Spidey Bill. That's the Twitter challenge. It's the easiest Twitter challenge of all time. Nah, well, yeah, it is because it's Dafoe. It's Rhino. Team Dafoe. Oh, fuck. But the version that appears in the video game and not the one for the GameCube. The PS1? No. Like, I I got it from the back of a cereal box. In the late 90s? I don't know then. You got to fight a... It was a demo, and it ended after you fought Scorpion? Yeah, so yeah, Spider-Man for PS1. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's called Activision. Okay. Or no, was it Neversoft or Activision? It was Activision. Activision Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. Spider-Man 2, Enter Electro. Yep. Yep, which are also great games, but that's a sad point. (laughs) Finally, TribeCop.com. Backlog episodes. Schedule for the future episodes so that you are always prepped when the shows come around. Uh, I'm not promising anything else on that website because <laughs> all I'll do is not make and fulfill that promise. <laughs> that is exactly how it is. <laughs> and if you noticed, episodes are not coming one week earlier because I missed a deadline because I don't have internet. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. I moved and I don't have internet yet, and therefore I missed a deadline, so I'm sorry. That's just how it is. But that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Keller Hartsman. And Ben. Have a super week. Yeah, why do you do this to me? Okay. Anderson, have a super week. Guys, stole my pizza. Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job soon.